Welcome to Frig Friday, featuring Sigrid Unset's Kristen Lovren's Daughter, read by Michelle Hammond, sponsored by Gal's Guide. Kristen Lovren's Daughter by Sigrid Unset Winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature Book One The Wreath Part One Jorengard Chapter Four Fru Asild stayed at Jorengard for most of the summer, which meant that people came there to seek her advice. Kristen heard Sarah Eirik speak jeeringly of this, and it dawned on her that her parents did not much care for it either. But she pushed aside all thoughts of these things, nor did she pay any heed to what her own opinion of Fru Asild might be. She was her constant companion, and never tired of listening to and watching the woman. Ulfhild still lay stretched out flat on her back in the big bed. Her small face was white to the very edge of her lips, and she had dark circles under her eyes. Her lovely blonde hair smelled sharply of sweat, because it hadn't been washed in such a long time. It had turned dark and had lost its sheen and curl, so that it looked like old, wind-blown hay. She looked tired and tormented and patient, and she would smile, feeble and wan, whenever Kristen sat by her on the bed to talk and show her all the lovely presents she had received from her parents and their friends and kinsmen far and wide. There were dolls, toy birds and cattle, a little board game, jewelry, velvet caps, and colorful ribbons. Kristen had put it all in a box for her. Ulfhild would look at everything with her somber eyes, sigh, and then let the treasures fall from her weary hands. But whenever Fru Asild came over to her, Ulfhild's face would light up with joy. Eagerly she drank the refreshing and sleep-inducing brews that Fru Asild prepared for her. She never complained when the woman tended to her, and she would lie still, listening happily, whenever Fru Asild played Lavrin's harp and sang. She knew so many ballads that were unfamiliar to the people there in the valley. Often she would sing for Kristen when Ulfhild had fallen asleep, and sometimes she spoke of her youth when she lived in the south of the country and frequented the courts of King Magnus and King Eirik and their queens. Once, as they were sitting there and Fru Asild was telling stories, Kristen blurted out what she had thought of so often. It seems strange to me that you're always so happy when you've been used to— She broke off, blushing. Fru Asild looked down at the child, smiling. You mean, because now I'm separated from all those things? She laughed quietly, and then she said, I've had my glory days, Kristen. But I'm not foolish enough to complain because I have to be content with sour, watered-down milk now that I've drunk up all my wine and ale. Good days can last a long time if one tends to things with care and caution. All sensible people know that. That's why I think that sensible people have to be satisfied with the good days, for the grandest of days are costly indeed. They call a man a fool who fritters away his father's inheritance in order to enjoy himself in his youth. Everyone is entitled to his own opinion about that, but I call him a true idiot and fool only if he regrets his actions afterward. 
and he is twice the fool and the greatest buffoon of all if he expects to see his drinking companions again once the inheritance is gone. Is something wrong with Ulfield? Fru Asield asked gently, turning to Ronfred, who had given a start from her place near the child's bed. No, she's sleeping quietly, said the mother, as she came over to Fru Asield and Kristen, who were sitting near the hearth. With her hand on the smoke-vent pole, Ronfred stood and looked down into the woman's face. Kristen doesn't understand all this, she said. No, replied Fru Asield, but she also learned her prayers before she understood them. At those times, when one needs either prayers or advice, one usually has no mind to learn or to understand. Ronfred raised her black eyebrows thoughtfully. When she did that, her light, deep-set eyes looked like lakes beneath a black forest meadow. That's what Kristen used to think when she was small. Or perhaps she had heard someone say that. Fru Asild looked at her with that little half-smile of hers. Ronfred sat down at the edge of the hearth, picked up a twig, and poked at the embers. But the person who has wasted his inheritance on the most wretched of goods, and then later sees a treasure he would give his life to own, don't you think that he would deplore his own stupidity? No bargain is without some loss, Ronfred, said Fru Asild, and whoever wishes to give his life must take the risk and see what he can win. Ronfred jerked the burning twig from the fire, blew out the flame, and curled her hand around the glowing end so that a blood-red light shone between her fingers. Oh, it's all nothing but words, 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 Fru Asild. There is very little worth paying for so dearly, Ronfred, said the other woman as with one's own life. Yes, there is, said Kristen's mother fervently. My husband, she whispered almost inaudibly. Ronfred, said Fru Asild quietly, many a maiden has had the same thought when she was tempted to bind a man to her and give up her maidenhood to do so. But haven't you read about men and maidens who gave God all they owned and entered cloisters or stood naked in the wilderness and then regretted it afterward? They're called fools in the holy books, and it would certainly be a sin to think that God was the one who had deceived them in their bargain. Ronfred sat quite still for a moment. Then Fru Asield said, Come along with me, Kristen. It's time to go out and collect the dew that we'll use to wash Ulfield in the morning. Outside, the courtyard was white and black in the moonlight. Ronfred accompanied them through the farmyard, down to the gate near the cabbage garden. Kristen saw the thin silhouette of her mother leaning against the fence nearby. The child shook dew from the large, ice-cold cabbage leaves and from the folds of the lady's mantle into her father's silver goblet. Fru Asield walked silently at Kristen's side. She was there only to protect her, for it was not wise to let a child go out alone on such a night. But the dew would have more power if it was collected by an innocent maiden. When they came back to the gate, Ronfred was gone. Kristen was shaking with cold as she put the icy silver goblet into Fru Asild's hands. In her wet shoes, she ran over to the loft where she slept with her father. She had her foot on the first step when Ronfred emerged from the shadows beneath the gallery of the loft. In her hands, she held a bowl of steaming liquid. I've warmed up some ale for you, daughter, said Ronfred. Kristen thanked her gratefully and put her lips to the rim. Then her mother asked, 
Kristen, those prayers and other things that Fru Osseld is teaching you, is there anything sinful or ungodly about them? I can't believe that, replied the child. They all mention Jesus and the Virgin Mary and the names of the saints. What has she been teaching you? asked her mother again. Oh, about herbs, and how to ward off bleeding and warts and strained eyes, and moths in clothing and mice in the storehouse, and which herbs to pick in sunlight and which ones have power in the rain. But I mustn't tell the prayers to anyone else, or they will lose their power, she said quickly. Her mother took the empty bowl and set it on the steps. Suddenly she threw her arms around her daughter, pulled her close, and kissed her. Kristen noticed that her mother's cheeks were hot and wet. May God and Our Lady guard and protect you against all evil. We have only you now, your father and I. You're the only one that misfortune has not touched. My dear, my dear, never forget that you are your father's dearest joy. Ronfred went back to the winter house, undressed, and crawled into bed with Ulfield. She put her arm around the child and pressed her face close to the little ones so that she could feel the warmth of Ulfield's body and smell the sharp odor of sweat from the child's damp hair. Ulfield slept soundly and securely, as always, after Fru Osseld's evening potion. There was a soothing scent from the Virgin Mary grass spread under the sheet, and yet Ronfred lay there for a long time, unable to sleep, and stared up at the little scrap of light in the roof where the moon shone on the horn pane of the smoke vent. Fru Osseld lay in the other bed, but Ronfred never knew whether she was asleep or awake. Fru Osseld never mentioned that they had known each other in the past, and that frightened Ronfred quite badly. She thought she had never felt so bitterly sad or in such an agony of fear as she did now, even though she knew that Lovrens would regain his full health, and that Ulfield would survive. Fru Osseld seemed to enjoy talking to Kristen, and for each day that passed the maiden became better friends with her. One day, when they had gone out to pick herbs, they sat down next to the river in a little grassy clearing at the foot of a scree. They could look down at the courtyard of Formo and see Arna Geardson's red shirt. He had ridden over with them and was going to look after their horses while they were up in the mountain meadow gathering herbs. As they sat there, Kristen told Fru Osseld about her encounter with the dwarf maiden. She hadn't thought about the incident for many years, but now it suddenly came back to her. And as she spoke, the strange thought occurred to her that there was some resemblance between Fru Osseld and the dwarf woman, even though she realized full well that they did not look at all alike. But when she had finished telling the story, Fru Osseld sat in silence for a moment and gazed out across the valley. Finally, she said, It was wise of you to flee since you were only a child back then. But haven't you ever heard of people who took the gold the dwarf offered them? and then trap the troll in a rock afterward? I've heard of such stories, said Kristen, but I would never dare do that myself, and I don't think it's the right thing to do. It's good when you don't dare do something that doesn't seem right, said Fru Osseld with a little laugh, but it's not so good if you think something isn't right because you don't dare do it. Then she added abruptly, You've grown up a good deal this summer. I wonder if you realize how lovely you've become. Yes, I know, said Kristen. They say I look like my father. Fru Osseld laughed softly. Yes, it would be best if you took after Lovrens, both in temperament and appearance. 
and yet it would be a shame if they married you to someone up here in the valley. Farming customs and the ways of smallholders should not be disdained, but these gentry up here all think they're so grand that their equals are not to be found in all of Norway. I'm sure they wonder how I can manage to live and prosper even though they've closed their doors to me. But they're lazy and arrogant and refuse to learn new ways, and then they blame everything on the old enmity with the monarchy in the time of King Svera. It's all a lie. Your ancestor reconciled with King Svera and accepted gifts from him. But if your mother's brother wanted to serve the king and join his retinue, then he would have to cleanse himself, both inside and out, which is not something Trond is willing to do. But you, Kristen, ought to marry a man who is both chivalrous and courtly. Kristen sat staring down at the Formo courtyard, at Arna's red back. She hadn't been aware of it herself, but whenever Fru Asild talked about the world she had frequented in the past, Kristen always pictured the knights and counts in Arna's image. Before, when she was a child, she had always envisioned them in her father's image. My nephew, Erland Niklausen of Husaby, now he would have been a suitable bridegroom for you. He has grown up to be so handsome, that boy. My sister, Monhild, came to visit me last year when she was on her way through the valley, and she brought her son along with her. Well, you wouldn't be able to marry him, of course, but I would have gladly spread the blanket over the two of you in the wedding bed. His hair is as dark as yours is fair, and he has beautiful eyes. But if I know my brother-in-law, he has already set his sights on a much better match for Erland than you would be. Does that mean I'm not a good match, then? asked Kristen, with surprise. She was never offended by anything Fru Asild said, but she felt embarrassed and chagrined that Fru Asild might be somehow better than her own family. Yes, of course you're a good match, said Fru Asild. And yet you couldn't expect to become part of my lineage. Your ancestor here in Norway was an outlaw and a foreigner, and the Yeslings have sat moldering away on their estates for such a long time that almost no one remembers them outside of this valley. But my sister and I married the nephews of Queen Margaret, schoolist's daughter. Kristen didn't even think to object that it was not her ancestor, but his brother who had come to Norway as an outlaw. She sat and gazed out over the dark mountain slopes across the valley, and she remembered that day many years ago when she went up onto the ridge and saw how many mountains there were between her own village and the rest of the world. Then Fru Asild said they ought to head home, and she asked Kristen to call for Arna. Kristen put her hands up to her mouth and shouted, and then waved her kerchief until she saw the red speck down in the courtyard turn and wave back. Sometime later Fru Asild returned home, but during the fall and the first part of winter she often came to Jorengard to spend a few days with Ulfield. The child was now taken out of bed in the daytime, and they tried to get her to stand on her own, but her legs crumpled beneath her whenever she tried it. She was fretful, pale, and tired, and the laced garment that Fru Asild had made for her from horsehide and slender willow branches plagued her terribly. All she wanted to do was lie in her mother's lap. Ronfred was constantly holding her injured daughter, so Tortoise was now in charge of all the housekeeping. At her mother's request, Kristen accompanied Tortoise to help and to learn. Kristen sometimes longed for Fru Asild, who occasionally would talk to her a great deal, 
but at other times Kristen would wait in vain for a word beyond the casual greeting as Fru Osseld came and went. Instead, Fru Osseld would sit with the grown-ups and talk. That was always what happened when she brought her husband along with her, for now Bjorn Gunnarsson also came to Jorungard. One day in the fall, Lavrens had ridden over to Haugen to take Fru Asild payment for her doctoring, the best silver pitcher and matching platter they owned. He had stayed the night and afterward had high praise for their farm. He said it was beautiful and well-tended, and not as small as people claimed. Inside the buildings everything looked prosperous, and the customs of the house were as courtly as those of the gentry in the south of the country. What Lavrens thought of Bjorn he didn't say but he always received the man courteously when Bjorn accompanied his wife to Jorungard. On the other hand, Lavrens was exceedingly fond of Fru Asild, and he believed that most of what people said about her was a lie. He also said that twenty years earlier, she would hardly have required witchcraft to bind a man to her. She was sixty now, but still looked young, and she had a most appealing and charming manner. Kristen noticed that her mother was not happy about all this. It's true that Ronfrid never said much about Fru Asild, but one time she compared Bjorn to the flattened yellow grass that can be found under large rocks, and Kristen thought this an apt description. Bjorn had an oddly faded appearance. He was quite fat, pale and sluggish, and slightly bald, even though he was not much older than Lovren's, and yet it was still apparent that he had once been an extremely handsome man. Kristen never exchanged a single word with him. He said little, preferring to stay in one spot, wherever he happened to be seated, from the moment he stepped in the door until it was time for bed. He drank an enormous amount, but it seemed to have little effect on him. He ate almost nothing, and occasionally he would stare at someone in the room, stony-faced and pensive, with his strange, pale eyes. They had not seen their kinsmen from Sundbu since the accident occurred, but Lavrens had been over to Vaga several times. Sarah Eirik, on the other hand, came to Jorungard as often as before, and there he frequently met Fru Asild. They had become good friends. People thought this a generous attitude on the part of the priest, since he himself was a very capable doctor. This was also probably one of the reasons why people on the large estates had not sought Fru Asild's advice, at least not openly, because they considered the priest to be competent enough. It was not easy for them to know how to act toward two people who in some ways had been cast out of their own circles. Sira Eirik himself said that they caused no one any harm, and as for Fru Asild's witchcraft, he was not her parish priest. It could be that the woman knew more than was good for the health of her soul, and yet one should not forget that ignorant people often spoke of witchcraft as soon as a woman showed herself to be wiser than the councilman. For her part, Fru Asild spoke highly of the priest and diligently went to church if she happened to be at Jorungard on a holy day. Christmas was a sad time that year. Ulfield was still unable to stand on her own, and they neither saw nor heard from their kinsmen at Sundbu. Kristen noticed that people in the village were talking about the rift, and that her father took it to heart. But her mother didn't care, and Kristen thought this was callous of her. One evening, toward the end of the holidays, Cyrus Sigurd, Trond Yesling's house priest, arrived in a big sleigh, and his primary mission was to invite them all to visit Sundbu. Cyrus Sigurd was not well liked in the surrounding villages, for he was the one who actually managed Trond's properties for him, 
Or, at least, he was the one who was blamed whenever Trond acted harshly or unjustly, and Trond tended to plague his tenants somewhat. The priest was exceedingly clever at writing and figuring. He knew the law and was a skilled doctor, although not as skilled as he thought. But judging by his behavior, no one would think him a clever man. He often said foolish things. Ronfred and Lovrens had never liked him, but the Sundbu people, as was reasonable, set great store by their priest, and both they and he were greatly disappointed that he had not been called on to tend to Ulfield. On the day the Sir Sigurd came to Jorengard, unfortunately for him, Fru Asild and Herr Bjorn were already there, as were Sir Eirik, Arna's parents Geard and Inga of Finsbrecken, old Jan from Lopsgard, and a friar from Hamar, brother Osgot. While Ronfred had the table set once more with food for the guests, and Lovrens poured over boxes of sealed letters that the priest had brought, Sira Sigurd asked to see Ulfield. She had already been put to bed for the night and was sleeping, but Sira Sigurd woke her up, examined her back and limbs, and asked her questions, at first kindly enough, but with increasing impatience as Ulfield grew frightened. Sigurd was a small man, practically a dwarf, but he had a big, flame-red face. When he tried to lift her onto the floor to test her legs, Ulfield began to scream. Then Fru Asild stood up, went over to the bed, and covered her with a blanket, saying that the child was sleepy. She wouldn't have been able to stand up even if her legs were healthy. The priest began to protest vehemently. He was also considered a capable doctor. But Fru Asild took his hand, led him over to the high seat at the table, and started talking about what she had done for Ulfield as she asked his opinion on everything. Then he grew more amenable, and he ate and drank of Ronfred's good repast. But when the ale and wine began to go to his head, Sira Sigurd was once again in a foul mood, quarrelsome and bad-tempered. He was quite aware that no one in the room liked him. First he turned to Gerd, who was the envoy of the Bishop of Hamar, at Vaga and Seal. There had been numerous disputes between the bishopric and Trond Ivarsson. Gerd didn't say much, but Inga was a hot-tempered woman, and then Brother Oscout joined in the discussion. He said, You shouldn't forget, Sir Sigurd, that our worthy father Ingjald is your prelate too. We know all about you in Hamar. You revel in all that is good at Zunbu, and give little thought to the fact that you are dedicated to other work than acting as Tron's eye-servant, helping him do everything that is unjust so that he endangers his own soul and diminishes the power of the church. Haven't you ever heard about what happens to those disobedient and unfaithful priests who contravene their own spiritual fathers and superiors? Don't you know about the time when the angels led St. Thomas of Canterbury to the gates of hell and let him peek inside? He was greatly surprised not to see any of those who had opposed him as you oppose your bishop. He was just about to praise God's mercy, for the holy man wished all sinners to be saved when the angel asked the devil to lift his tail, with a tremendous roar and a horrid stench of sulfur, outspewed all the priests and learned men who had betrayed the interests of the church, and then he saw where all of them had ended up. You're lying, monk, said the priest. I've heard that story too, but it was friars, not priests, who were spewed out of the devil's behind like wasps from a wasp's nest. Old Jan laughed louder than all the servants and cried, 
No doubt it was both. I'll bet it was. Then the devil must have a very wide tail, said Bjorn Gunnarsson. And Fru Asild smiled and said, Yes, haven't you heard it said that everything bad has a long rump dragging behind? You be quiet, Fru Asild, shouted Sira Sigurd. You shouldn't talk about the long rump that bad people drag behind them. Here you sit, as if you were the mistress of the house, instead of Ronfrid. But it's odd that you haven't been able to cure her child. Don't you have any more of that powerful water you used to use? The water that could make a dismembered sheep whole again in the soup pot and turn a woman into a maiden in the bridal bed? I know all about that wedding here in the village when you prepared the bath for the despoiled bride. Sarah Eirik jumped up, grabbed the other priest by the shoulder and flank, and threw him right across the table so that pitchers and cups toppled and food and drink spilled onto the tablecloths and floor. Sarah Sigurd landed flat on his back, his clothing torn. Eirik leaped over the table and was about to strike him again, bellowing over the din. Shut your filthy trap, you damned priest! Lavrens tried to separate them, but Ronfred stood at the table as white as a corpse, wringing her hands. Then Fru Osild ran over and helped Sarah Sigurd to his feet and wiped the blood from his face. She handed him a goblet of mead as she said, you shouldn't be so stern, Sarah Eirik, that you can't stand to hear a joke late in the evening after so many drinks. Now sit down, and I'll tell you about that wedding. It wasn't here in this valley at all, and it's my misfortune that I was not the one who knew about that water. If I had been able to brew it, we wouldn't be sitting up there on that little farm. Then I'd be a rich woman with property out in the big villages somewhere, near the town and cloisters and bishops and canons, she said, smiling at the three clergymen. But someone must have known the art in the old days, because this was in the time of King Inge, as far as I know, and the bridegroom was Peter Lodensen of Brateland. But I won't say which of his three wives was the bride, since there are living descendants from all three. Well, this bride probably had good reason to wish for that water, and she managed to get it, too. She prepared a bath for herself out in the shed, but before she managed to bathe, in came the woman who was to be her mother-in-law. She was muddy and dirty from the ride to the wedding manor, so she took off her clothes and stepped into the tub. She was an old woman, and she had nine children by Loden. But on that night, both Loden and Peter had a different kind of pleasure than they had counted on. Everyone in the room laughed heartily, and both Geard and Jan called out to Fru Osild to tell more such ribald tales. But she refused. Here sit two priests and Brother Oscout and young boys and maidservants. We should stop now before the talk grows indecent and vulgar. Remember, these are the holy days. The men protested, but the women agreed with Fru Osild. No one noticed that Ronfred had left the room. A little while later, Kristen, who had been sitting at the far end of the women's bench among the maidservants, stood up to go to bed. She was sleeping in Tortoise's house because there were so many guests at the farm. It was biting cold, and the northern lights were flaring and flickering above the domed mountains to the north. The snow creaked under Kristen's feet as she ran across the courtyard, shivering, with her arms crossed over her breast. Then she noticed that in the shadows beneath the old loft, someone was pacing vigorously back and forth in the snow, throwing out her arms, wringing her hands, and moaning loudly. Kristen recognized her mother. Frightened, she ran over to her and asked her if she was ill. No, no, said Ronfred fiercely. I just had to get out. Go to bed now, child. 
Kristen turned around when her mother softly called her name. Go into the house and lie down in bed with your father in Ulfield. Hold her in your arms so that he doesn't crush her by mistake. He sleeps so heavily when he's drunk. I'll go up and sleep here in the old loft tonight. Jesus, mother, said Kristen. You'll freeze to death if you sleep here, and all alone. What will father say if you don't come to bed tonight? He won't notice, replied her mother. He was almost asleep when I left, and tomorrow he'll get up late. Go and do as I say. You'll be so cold, whimpered Kristen. But her mother pushed her away, somewhat more gently, and then shut herself inside the loft. It was just as cold inside as out, and pitch dark. Ronfred fumbled her way over to the bed, tore the shawl from her head, took off her shoes, and crawled under the furs. They chilled her to the bone. It was like sinking into a snowdrift. She pulled the covers over her head, tucked up her legs, and put her hands into the bodice of her clothing. And she lay there in that way, weeping, alternately crying quite softly, with streaming tears, and then screaming and gnashing her teeth in between her sobs. Finally, she had warmed up the bed enough that she began to feel drowsy, and then she cried herself to sleep. Mm -hmm.